Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you're looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. So I want to thank uh, Matt for the opportunity tonight just to speak, uh, give him a break, a much needed break, very, very busy, and he is actually over teaching still. So how much of a break it is, but a little break for him. So I appreciate it. When he asked me a week ago to, to talk for just a few minutes tonight, right away, there was a, a message that came to my mind. I said, yep, this is what I'm going to do. I already got it set. No problem. And then as God has a want to do, he changes your heart <laughs> along the way. And everything you thought you were going to do is kind of put out the window and you are headed down a different path. So I had to do something this week I've never done before on Monday. I had to attend a funeral service for one of my students. I've never had to say goodbye to a child that I taught before. And it was very hard. My, um, my wife and my daughter came with me and we, we got to go. She was 10 years old. Um, she died of cystic fibrosis. If you know anything about it, you know life expectancy is usually about 13 years. So she actually passed away a little bit before what the doctors had thought she was going to have. But the entire time I had her, Addison was always just a super funny kid, just smiled all the time. I was usually the ones that had to go in and administer her breathing treatment for her every day and kind of be there for her when she was having bad days. And she was always goofy and always laughed. But as we stood there at her tiny coffin, and looked at her very peaceful body. There was sadness, but there was also a great relief that she was now in the arms of her father. But for a second, I had to think, man, this poor child lived such a broken life. Just from the time she was born, it was struggle after struggle after struggle. Half the pictures that they showed up on the memorial wall during the services were pictures of her in hospital beds. (laughs) Just big smile on her face each time. It was a struggle to get to the end, but the end led to being with her father in heaven. And I had to think, man, what, is, what are we learning from this? What are we learning? And I sat there in the pew quietly, and then as the service started, I realized very quickly, as each person got up and over and over and over again mentioned Addison and God, Addison and God. And everybody in that entire auditorium's hearts and minds were at least for that night turned towards God. Addison was serving her purpose. She was helping us to realize what a tool she was for him and his work. Through all of her hardness and terrible things that she experienced in life, that smile, that joy, that grace made us all realize that's the kind of people we want to see in heaven. So then I started thinking, boy, Addison was physically broken, but there are so many of us, including myself, including you, that are also broken by different things that have happened to us in our lives. So I started thinking, what does that mean to be broken? It's a word I always heard, you know, that person is so broken, I feel so sorry for them. Or maybe somebody said that to me, you know, I have such a broken background, all the things that have happened to me. So what does it mean to be broken? I looked up a couple things here and, and kind of put it all together in a summary. Brokenness occurs when someone, something, our own selves, Um, or our own selves alter our lives in such a way that it leaves substantial and sometimes permanent damage to how we think and feel about ourselves. Brokenness erases the hopes and dreams that we have from the time when we're small of living a happy, typical life and forces us to alter the directions we hope our lives will take. Brokenness can cause low self-esteem, low self-worth, 
depression, violence, stunted social emotional development. It complicates relationships and causes general disconnection with society. Yet in God's perfect plan, these are the exact people he looks for. Think about that for a second. These are the exact people he is hunting out to spread his word and his message. It makes no logical sense to us at all. These are the people that societally we would stay away from because they're downers. There's things that have gone in their lives that have been terrible. Not really the kind of people you think about generally associating with. It's just the opposite in the realm of God. Those are the people he is reaching out to, to grab and pull in. So tonight, as we go through your notes, I'm going to look at a few points here. You guys can feel free to fill them in as we go. And we're going to talk about what it means to be broken and how God is going to use that to make you whole again. So the first one of your notes is God chooses the broken because he's already determined how to use you. God chooses the broken because he's already determined on how to use you. Think about for a second what that statement means. So God has chosen you in your brokenness. And we know what brokenness means, right? We've already kind of gone through that definition. But what does choose mean? That's very simple. We can all come up with a quick definition of that. As a kid growing up, if anybody ever threw out the term Merriam-Webster, you perked your ears up because you're like, okay, this is the real definition right here. So I went to Merriam-Webster, and this is the definition of what it means to choose here. It defines choose as to select freely after consideration or to have a preference for. This means God has already considered our worth and how we can help him in his kingdom and has a preference to use the broken to spread his message. Now, if we logically think about it, it makes sense. How are we supposed to reach out to those who are down and brokenhearted with people whose lives have just been perfect the whole time? And let me tell you all something, ain't everybody's life been perfect all the time. We all, all had brokenness in our life. But why does God choose that? Do you remember when you were in school and you had to be picked for a team? <laughs> I do. I remember it well, especially in junior high and high school, right? They'd line everybody up against the wall. They'd pick two captains. They'd start one by one picking teams. And as the uh, geeky, chubby kid, <laughs> was it exactly the picture of athletic prowess. So I was usually in the bottom three. I'll just be honest <laughs> with it. And so they would pick all the jocks and all the athletic people and the people that just knew how to run. And put them all on a team and they'd get down to the last three and then you awkwardly would walk over to the team as you got picked um, until I learned that soccer was my thing not because I like soccer I actually hate soccer but because I'm so big I had a lot of surface space between the goals <laughs> so it was harder for the ball to get by me so I was one of the first when it was soccer time I'll take that guy he's the goalie so I got to play that and it was a nice feeling getting to be picked first or one of the first in the group so it, it was a good thing but think about what the scripture is saying and what, what God is telling us right now through all of this. He is actually picking you out of a lineup of people to use your brokenness. I try to think of it as, as like Satan and God together. We, we talk about Job in the Bible, how God and, and Satan had conversations. They're together and he says, go ahead, Satan, you pick your team. And Satan's like, I want all the politicians. And they're on my team. I'm going to use them to get into countries and corrupt them and have people blindly follow them and look up to them as the leaders. And God says, okay, I'm going to take the single mothers that have had a really hard life and struggle every day to raise their kids. And I can imagine Satan's face like, oh, okay, that's fine. Well, I'm going to take all the entertainers, right? 
because they're out there, they're singing, dancing, doing their things. People look up to them. I'm going to bring them on my team to influence. And God says, okay, I'm going to take the guy who served in Iraq and is a quadriplegic right now because he can tell his story to more people. And Satan's like, okay, <laughs> you can have him. Well, I'm also going to take the athletes and I'm going to take the movie stars and I'm going to take the people closest to the other people around you. And I'm going to have them influence the world on him. And God says, okay, well, I'm going to take that child that grew up in foster homes and now realizes that there's something beyond just being passed around. And I'm going to pick that father who realized in his life that he didn't do the best he could with his children, but is trying to make amends by teaching God to everybody he can meet. That's who I'm going to pick on my team. And we look at how they're weighed. And societally, Satan's team is so much stronger. But that's the problem with how we look at it. It's not about who we are as a team. It's about who our captain is. And he is so much stronger than the other team. And he uses us. And all of a sudden, instead of becoming broken people, we become disciples to his plan. We become tools for him. Psalms 34, 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Look at the word that's used there, crushed. When you think of trampling on something to break it, have you ever stepped on something and hear that crunch, that crackle, that break, it's disintegrated. But God says, I'm the closest to those people. Leviticus 26, 13, this is taking a, a scripture and I wanna, I wanna turn it a little bit so you guys can hear it in just a second. It says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to walk with your heads held high. Let's change that into modern day wording here. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the world so that you would no longer be slaves of men. I broke the bars and I broke your bars of your brokenness and I enabled you to walk with your heads held high. You are no longer under the things that have happened to you in your past. Your head is held high. You are now a witness to overcoming pain in the world. Your story is someone else's story. And they need to hear how you have overcome that evil to walk with your head held high as a child of God. You see, you're now part of God's plan to bring the broken back to him, to lead others to the cross, and then help them nail their brokenness there. So you didn't think you were worth anything? Now you're the captain of bringing others to God. Why can't we see that? Why is that so hard for us? Because we let our humanity always get in the way. Always. It was Mike Harris that said that. Human gets in the way. That's why. We always let it give in the way. And we always feel like people are looking at us wrong when we're broken. They know our deep, deepest, darkest secret. They judge us. They don't want to be around us. That leads into my second point here. And this is one that God wants us to know. Everyone is broken. Everyone. God already understands this. So should we. Your next line. Everyone is broken. God already understands this. So should we. We have no right to look upon others and their situations and cast judgment. No right at all. 
we judge judgment on their, their past trials or things that they've gone through. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All. There's not an exception there. There's not a little asterisk that Paul puts as most. He says all. Every single one outside of our Lord and Savior himself that walked this earth. All have sinned and fallen short, which means all are broken in this process. And if we use that judgment against other people, then we've already lost. We've already lost. It's very easy to say, I'm bad, but I'm not that bad. So I'm pretty good. Why is that done? It's to lift yourself up. To say, okay, I knew I was doing some stuff wrong, but I'm not doing it that wrong. That person is really broken. And God is saying, you fool. Right here in Luke 18, verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like that other people out there. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. It is okay that you're broken. It is okay if you feel that. It is okay if you wake up some mornings and wonder how you're going to get through the day with your own guilt that you have. It is okay to say... I don't feel worthy, but it's not okay to let that stop you from becoming one with your God again. From the words of Jesus himself, the people who exalt themselves to make themselves look great, to put a, a good uh, shadow over everyone, and that's what it is, to blind them, to say that person is wonderful, they're fantastic, God will humble them. He will humble them. But the people who are going through stuff that say, have mercy on me, help me with this. God is going to lift them up. The words of Jesus Christ, they are justified before God. Justified. If we judge our brothers and sisters by their past, God will do the same to us. And we will kneel before him in humbleness. I like the, the juxtapose of what he put here. Pharisees were the smartest people in the land. These were the Jewish superstars of the time. These were what everybody looked to become. Everybody wanted to be a Pharisee. If you were a young Jewish boy that were learning in the synagogues, you one day wanted to be like these Pharisees. And the one thing you did not want to be was a tax collector. These were people that were relegated to doing this as, and they were considered thieves and just the scum of the earth. And so Jesus puts these two together and says, here's this superstar that you're supposed to be worshiping. And here's this one you're supposed to be hating, yet the one you're hating is so unworthy that he stands away from the crowd by himself, silently begging to God for forgiveness, while the Pharisee's standing in front of the crowd saying, look at me and what I've done in my life. And Jesus said, that's not the one we want. It's the broken one over here. What a beautiful lesson that is. That goes into number three. Admitting that you are broken is not a spiritual death sentence. 
it is the first step in being healed. Admitting you're broken is not a spiritual death sentence. It is the first step in being healed. In order to be whole again, we must cry out to God just as that tax collector did. God does not force his help, but he is forever waiting to give it. He's saddened to see his children drown in their own self-affliction or from the infliction of others, and he is waiting to mend you, but you must take that first step. The things that you're going in your life that can consider you broken may not even have been done by you. Like in Addison's case, it might be something that you've been born with. Or it might be something that somebody else did to you. Somebody else hurt you in some way. Was that fair? Absolutely not. Life is not fair, but God is. And when we cry out to God, regardless of how we became broken, he is right there to instantly, instantly swoop you up and to make you one again. Psalms 32, one, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and whose spirit is in no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as the heat of summer. And I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to you, Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. I love all of the terms used in this scripture. It's beautiful. All of the terms. This is David. David, keep in mind, David who did some of the most heinous things in the Bible. A liar, a murderer, a deceiver, a man after God's own heart. Those things don't really go together, do they? But when forgiveness and grace is involved, they do. And David is saying, my bones were rotting away under the guilt that I was carrying. But soon as I cried out to God and said, God, please, please heal me. Please forgive me. Instantly, it was removed from him. And everything like the rising waters, which is our world around us, our society around us, our culture around us, everybody that's going to pull us down, they will not reach us. They will not touch us if our hearts are turned to God. A cry out to God instantly starts the healing process. The moment you set your eyes upon God and turn from this world, it's affliction that you've been suffering goes away and you become whole again. Without this step, we will be as the Psalm states and we will waste away through our groaning all day. But you have to take the first step. Why is that so hard for us to take that first step? Why is it so hard for us to stop trying to fix our own problems, to stop trying to self-medicate with the things of the world and just say, God, I give up. Fix me. God understands this. God understands the struggle. And he's waiting for when those words are called to lift you back up. Number four. What you have done or experienced does not define who you are. What you have done or experienced does not define who you are. When we do something or something is done to us that breaks us, we sometimes feel like there's a big sign on our forehead with our sin. Everybody is looking at us. Everybody is judging us. And you know what? They might be. Sadly enough, 
That is how society is. Never mind the dirt on their own back. <laughs> They're going to judge you. And if they do, that's okay. Our glory is not through the reputation of men, but through the eyes of God. But what does Psalms 34.4 say? He says, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. Not ashamed. Here are some words to consider. And I want you guys to think about these words for just a second as I throw them out. Just think of your initial reaction, your gut reaction to these words as they're put out. Coward. Weakling. Womanizer prostitute, adulterer, liar, betrayer, murderer. These are words that you could shout out with such anger and vitriol with them. But these are actually the descriptions of Jonah, Gideon, Samson, Rahab, David, Peter, and Paul. Some of the most righteous men and women you'll ever read about in the Bible. Many of them listed in Hebrews 11 and some of the most faithful men and women. But for society's sake, that is the sign that would be on their head. King David, he's the one that had that lady's husband killed because he got her pregnant and then tried to cover it up. There's that Jonah, when God called him, he ran the complete opposite direction. What a coward. Gideon again and again had to ask God for signs because he was a weakling, the weakest of his family. Why would he pick him? Oh, Peter, the worst, denied Jesus to his face. And Paul, Paul was a murderer. His whole job was to make sure Christians were rounded up and killed for their beliefs. Yet again, when it came time to pick his team, God chose every one of these people. It's their very defects that turned them around to increase these believers in faith and service. And he'll do the exact same thing to you. You're broken because you hurt somebody and you're living with the guilt. God will use it. You're broken because you were the victim of an assault. God will use it. You're broken because you said a lie that destroyed someone. God will use it. Maybe you have shouted to the top of your lungs, God, I hate you. I don't believe you. I don't want you in my life anymore. God will use it. He will use it. First John 1, 9, but if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to clean us from all wickedness. Those things that stain us are not there anymore once we're forgiven. Cleanse in the scripture does not mean a partial removal of a broken past, but a complete restoration of the soul and a fresh beginning. While past emotions or guilt of our brokenness can resurface from time to time, our accountability is removed. Once we ask for forgiveness and repent, our sins, our experiences no longer define us. Now, does that mean that we won't have to suffer through some of the things that we did? David did. He lost his son. God took him away because of David's sin. Does that mean our faith wavers? No, because what did God do? He gave him back another son and he made him the wisest man to ever live outside of Jesus himself. He took Paul on a road and blinded him, took away his sight. 
And not only that, did he give it back to him, but he gave him the ability to see what truly mattered, and that was serving God. So you may lose things because of the things that you've done in your past, the experiences you went through, but God is there to lift you up out of it and give you back so much more. And it may not be here on earth. It may be in heaven, like Addison's getting right now. But he will give it back more than you could ever imagine. Number five, the struggles you face are preparing you for the battle that's ahead. Romans 5.3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I love Paul so much the way he writes. Look at that lineup that he has. Suffering produces endurance, produces character, produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because of God's love. When we go through these things, it strengthens us, it builds us up. It is iron sharpening steel. And when it is time to face something again, we can defeat it. God is using the very things that tear you down to your broken state to build you back up and make you stronger. He is preparing you to face new adversities and adversaries by using your suffering to make you stronger so that when the new challenges come that will attempt to break you, and they will, you will be equipped to fight them back. And I can't think of any better statement in the entire Bible than what Jesus said right before he died. He said, get behind me, Satan. That is what God is building you up with in your brokenness. I have already suffered through this. I am stronger and better and hopeful and braver than I've ever been before. You cannot touch me anymore. Nothing that you can do to hurt me has not already been done. And I've come out of that. I've risen out of that as a child of God. You can't hurt me anymore. Get behind me, Satan. I have a job to do. That is to serve my God. You're standing in my way. Get behind me, Satan. You're yelling at me and telling me that I'm not a good person because of something I did in my past and gotten, I've already been for forgiven for it. Get behind me, Satan. You're telling me I am not worthy to speak to you because of the things that I've done and I've changed my life. Get behind me, Satan. You think that I'm going to fall victim again to those things of the past once God has forgiven me and I'm living and walking a life in him. Get behind me, Satan because now I am prepared to stand against you. That is what God's telling us through the scripture. But unfortunately, a lot of times, God is not the first thing we turn to. Number six here, who we choose to build us up will determine how long we stand. Who we choose to build us up will determine how long we stand. Psalms 26.9, David again. Do not gather my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands is a sinister scheme, and whose right hand is full of bribes. But as for me, I will walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be merciful to me. My foot stands in an even place, and the congregations, I will bless the Lord. To let, let me seek 
help among the sinners. For a believer, there is only one cure for brokenness. We know what that is. It's God. But for the world, there are hundreds of solutions to dealing with pain, and most of them at some point lead to destruction. Support groups are great, absolutely. Hobbies are good distractions, positive friends, mental health experts, they absolutely all have their place and can help, but they're all temporary. But then society says, well, try some of the other things, some other things that'll help you. It could be alcohol, it could be drugs, it could be people that are not good for you, it could be going to places you shouldn't go, doing things that you shouldn't do, just to help you take your focus off the pain that you're dealing with. And you might feel better about yourself for a day or two or maybe an hour, but eventually you fall back down. But when God lifts you up, when you give your brokenness to God and he picks you up, When you start to fall, all you have to do is turn your eyes on him and he'll pick you up even higher than before. Nothing that man is going to give you is going to help you stand. Nothing. There's things that may help for a little while, but it's only a little while. But every time you start to slip, it's like those parents, those super parents that I see sometimes at my school when their child is just walking and slip and they don't even have to be looking. They're looking the other direction and they just... Pick them up and keep going. That is what God is doing with you all the time. He never pulls his hand back. It's always there to scoop you back up when you start to slip and fall. Nothing man can do can do that. Nothing man has can do that for you. Only God. Number seven. Of all of these points that I had to write, this might have been the hardest one for me. Rejoice in your brokenness. God's grace is sufficient for you. I don't know about you guys, but I do not wake up in the morning when my back cracks. I'm wondering why this muscle hurts because all I did was sleep. (laughs) I'm wondering why I can't feel my left foot in the morning until I get up and walk around. I'm wondering why I have to go through the trials of the day and all these terrible things that are about to happen. And I say, thank you for all of that, God. Thank you. I am going to rejoice in this. It is just not our human reaction (laughs) to trials and tribulations we have. But that's not how Paul saw it. It's completely different. Paul rejoiced in his suffering because it was telling him he was doing the right thing. Romans 12, 6, even if I should choose to boast, I wouldn't be a fool because I would be speaking in truth, but I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded to God to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I pray 
that I can get to a day in my life where I feel that all the time. Where I never stop and think, why is today so bad? Why does this hurt so much? Where I can just say, got it, Lord. I got it. I got what you're saying to me right now. I'm actually stronger than I've been before because my pursuits are not of this world. My pursuits are in you. And these little reminders of why this world is not the place I want to live actually makes me stronger, actually pulls me closer to you, actually makes our relationship more one when those things happen. Thank you, God, for this. I praise you for this. Thank you for these reminders that this world is not my home. Your brokenness may always be there at some level in your life. Even when you think it's done and you're over and you're 10 years down the road from an incident that just devastated you, something will trigger it. Something will make it pop back up again. It just happens. It's human nature. But if you are prepared, as we talked about, for that moment, you can stop for a second and say, yeah, I went through that. Look at me now. Look at how much stronger I am right now. Look how much prepared, more prepared I am now. Look at how many other people I've brought to God with my story now. Yeah, that moment was terrible. I shouldn't have done that. That shouldn't have happened to me. I shouldn't have been part of that. But look at where I'm at now. Do you not think every single one of those people I mentioned in the Bible went through that? Paul talks about it himself saying that he remembers the events that have happened to him, that he was part of these events of actually hunting down and killing Christians at one point and how it motivates him to go the opposite way, how it pushes him to find people to bring to Christ. Rejoice in our suffering. And the last one, God created you in his image he's prepared to do it again. Think for a second, we talked about when you've maybe stepped on something or dropped something and it's broken, you pick up that shard of what it is and you look at it. It's jagged, it's ripped apart. Sometimes it might be in too many pieces to glue back together and you just sweep it in a dustpan and you throw it away. God never does that with us. And you ask me how, I'm going to tell you right now, Jeremiah 18. This is a message that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Jeremiah, go down into the potter's house, and I will give you my message there. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working with clay at the wheel, and he was making a pot from clay. But there was something wrong with the pot. So the potter used that clay to make another pot. With his hands, he shaped the pot the way he wanted it to be. Then the message from the Lord came to me, family of Israel, you know that I can do the same thing with you. You are like the clay in the potter's hands, and I am the potter. This is the message from the Lord. Nothing I've said tonight can do anything better than that, right there. In pottery, when shards are broken, if they haven't been painted or sealed over, they can be reground, water mixed to them, and used all over again. Here he said he saw the potter making a pot and something wasn't quite right with it. It was broken. 
And so what did he do? He said, I'll use more clay to make another pot. I will rebuild you again. You cannot be broken and whole at the same time. It does not happen. It doesn't exist. If you glue all the pieces back together, it's whole again. Sure, there might be some cracks in it, like your past that comes back and reminds you every now and then, but it's whole. It's one. So as we believers, when we give our lives to God, he makes us whole again. The potter makes us whole again. We can't be broken anymore. The brokenness goes away. And we become a brand new vessel of God, of Christ. Addison's body was broken. She's 10. She was 10. And I'm speaking about her right now to you because of God's use of her brokenness. I will speak about her to other people in my life. I will speak about how every single person in that service turned their eyes forward and listened to the words being spoken of about God because of her sacrifice, her life, loss of life. Your brokenness doesn't define you. Your brokenness creates you into what God needs and what God wants to use. God sees you as a perfect creation, his. And he waits with open arms and unfathomable love to help you see it for yourself. His power is made perfect through your weakness and the brokenness you feel caused by your own hands or the hands of another will indeed bring more souls to God. And when you share your experiences with hungry and thirsty souls. I didn't tell you anything today you guys haven't heard before. It's just good to have a reminder, right? It's just good to stand back and say, it doesn't matter what I've done. All that matters is the road ahead. Because as Christians, we don't look back. God never did. Never did. It's all about the road ahead. I'm going to close out tonight. I, as a kid, we must have sang, and I kid you not, Amazing Grace at our church like 20 times a week, it seemed like. It was always in the rotation. It's a beautiful song. Everybody knows Amazing Grace. And so I grew up with this song, and I could sing the words in my head. And one day my friend told me, he said, do you realize that when you sing Amazing Grace, it's the exact same word count as the theme to Gilligan's Island. <laughs> and he's right. Now you're all singing it in your heads. <laughs> the theme for Gilligan's Island fits with Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace fits into Gilligan's Island. It's an amazing discovery <laughs> for that to happen. And it almost became a joke to me. Every time they sing it, I would hear it in my head. And then when I was in my early 20s, 9-11 happened. And two weeks later the Irish community here in Phoenix, they held a fair to raise money for the victims over there. So I went as a young 20-year-old. There was music and food and all kinds of fun stuff, and we donated to help for that. But they asked everybody to gather around just to say a prayer for the victims. And when our eyes were closed when they were saying this prayer, they had 12 bagpipers move into the crowd, one by one in all different areas. And as he said amen, the bags kicked, and they played Amazing Grace, and I lost myself that day. The amount of tears that were cried 
When the words came, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was broken, but now I'm whole. And God is good. God is good. Nothing that can ever happen to me in this life can keep me from being with him. God is good.